It's amazing what people will put into a book, thousands of hours and their whole lifetime of experience, and then they sell it for 20 bucks. Hello, and welcome to The Mommy Millionaire Show. This is your host, Kayla Kraft. I am a mom of three, multimillionaire, master life coach, and money mindset queen. I am so happy and thankful that you're here. I am actually on a mission to help 1 million women make a million dollars or more year. That could be you. Every week, I'm bringing you inspiring stories to help you feel empowered, to broaden your horizons, to gain clarity and strategy on living your best life. Over at Mommy Millionaire, we pursue our life with purpose and love, and the riches always follow. So stay tuned because I'm bringing you episodes twice a week. I believe you are your biggest asset. So let's build you up today. Let's get into it. Mommy Millionaires. Okay, you are going to learn a lot on today's episode. I am so pumped for this. We have Rich Fetke, who is the author of The Wise Investor. It's a modern parable about creating financial freedom and living your best life. He's a licensed real estate broker, active investor, and co-founder of a real estate investment group that helps 60,000 members improve their financial intelligence, secure passive income, and obtain financial freedom. He's also the author of Extreme Success and an audio program called Momentum. He's really a pioneer in the field of business and personal coaching, and I am so excited to have him on the Mommy Millionaire Show. So welcome, Rich, to Mommy Millionaire. Great to be here. I'm so excited to be here. Yay. Okay. So Rich, I'm so thankful you're here. Let's start with your background and really your story of how you got started in real estate investing. Oh, it was uh, out of desperation. Honestly, (laughs) it was actually 20 years ago, almost exactly. Uh, I was 37 years old. I just signed a book deal with Simon & Schuster for that book, Extreme Success. I was giving keynote speeches. I had a thriving coaching practice. And then I was diagnosed with melanoma, which is the most advanced form of skin cancer, which is not too bad if you have the surgeries and all that, but they thought that it spread to my liver. They saw four masses on my liver and the doctors gave me six months to live. And we had a 10-year-old daughter, a three-year-old daughter. Uh, My wife, Kathy, was a stay-at-home mom at the time. So it rocked our world and we just didn't know what to do. And Kathy didn't know what to do being a stay-at-home mom for an income if I died. Luckily, the doctor's diagnosis was wrong. The melanoma had not spread to my liver. I had a PET scan that showed I was cancer-free, but it took about three months of waiting through multiple tests before we got that answer. So those three months uh, that felt like a curse actually end up turning into a blessing because in that period, Kathy said, what am I going to do to make ends meet if Rich dies? And she started to seek out mentors and those mentors taught her about real estate investing. And so once... I was diagnosed cancer-free. We started to go out and invest. We did a cash-out refi on our property in the San Francisco area. We went to north of Dallas, a little town called Rockwall, Texas, and we bought five investment properties. And that is what got us into real estate investing. And then, man, then what happened from there is we had a bunch of friends and family. Kathy had a small radio show in San Francisco on local 
the local channel. And people started to say, how are you guys living in San Francisco, but investing in Dallas? So we formed what we thought would be a small group of investors and friends to help brainstorm, to help people facilitate this. And that small group that you mentioned earlier is called Real Wealth. That was back in 2003. Today, that small group is now 67,000 members that we've helped create financial independence. Wow. That is absolutely incredible how you turned this like horrific event that happened in your life into really life-changing generational wealth. Yeah. Grateful for it now. But yeah, it's that, you know, the old saying, every curse has a blessing, right? If you look for it. So wow, and you're you're definitely blessed that your you know melanoma is no joke. My aunt actually passed away from that in 2017. So, yeah, I'm so thankful that you're here today. Thank you, thank you, and giving all of your wisdom. So there are so many financial books out there. I mean, I read, I try to read a book every day. I'll either have it on Audible or just you know physical book. Yes. But, <laughs> hard copy you know, or whatever. I, the reason why like your book stands out to me is first of all, I love the title, but how is the wise, wise investor different than most like financial books? Cause those can be really dry and kind of hard <laughs> to read. For yeah, most you know, and there's some really good financial books out there. I've read a lot of them too. I'm just like you, I'm, you know, audio book in my ears every day reading books constantly, marking them all up and highlighting and all that stuff. And so, yeah, there's a lot of great financial books and books on investing and all. The Wise Investor is different because it's a parable. It's a modern parable. It's a story. And the reason I wrote a story is because running Real Wealth for 20 years and seeing the stories of people who would come in and were having a hard time making ends meet, having no time in their life for their family, for their kids, for their life. So I wrote a parable because stories emotionalize information. They help really get it, you know, get it into us. And when you read about someone else and you follow the hero's journey, which is the wise investor, you get to learn from that. You get to learn from the mentor, you get to learn the lessons and in a way that I think sinks in deeper, honestly. And I wanted to write a book that people would finish. You know, so many people don't finish nonfiction books. Hence my first book. A lot of people would say, oh yeah, I made it to chapter eight or something like that. So I wanted a book that people would be captivated and want to turn the page and read it in one sitting. That is awesome. Yeah. It reminds me of one of the first books I read was Og Mandino, you know, the greatest salesman in the world. And it was one that I just listened to on Audible, just on repeat, because it is, you're right. Like it, it's emotionally captivating. Yeah. I love that. that. So the wise investor, why do you focus on real estate investing in that book compared to, you know, what some people they're talking about investing in stocks and obsessing over Robin hood. Why, why does the wise investor focus on real estate to build wealth? Well, it, it, it really, talks about investing in assets, investing in assets that are going to bring passive income, whether that be real estate or creating a business. So the main character, his name is Ryan Brooks. His wife, Carissa, is uh, has her own business and she grows this business, an art business. And it, throughout the book, you get to see her journey and everything she learns from the mentor's wife, whose name is Jill. And so there's all these lessons about building a business that's going to create that that freedom of time, freedom of life, uh, freedom of money, and just like real estate investing. And that's what Kathy and I do. You know, that's what we've done for 20 years. That's how we became millionaires is through real estate investing. And we've helped a lot of people become millionaires through real estate investing. So it's what we know. It's also a slow moving 
instrument or investment vehicle. So when the volatility of the stock market or crypto or any of that, real estate really doesn't have that volatility. It's a slow moving thing. So you can plan ahead and, you know, we're boring real estate investors. We, we are buy and hold for the long haul. We talk about just growing and building real wealth and Real wealth, we define as having the money and the freedom to live life on your own terms. So that's what it's all about. It's about investing in these little golden gooses that keep laying eggs every month and you get your mailbox money and you just you continually grow your cash flow so you have freedom and then you can you don't have to work forever. Tell us more about mailbox money. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Well, it's basically the model of investing that we do is we do everything from single family homes up to apartment buildings. And we help people get into those. And that's what Kathy and I invest in. And so the mailbox money basically is where you let's start with a single family property. Maybe it's a, you're a new investor, you get that first single family property and you acquire it. Bank loans you 80 percent of that asset, no other investment, you can go into a bank and say, hey, will you loan me 80% of this? And then I get to keep all the cash flow. I get to get all the depreciation write-offs and everything. You just can't do it with any other investment. So buying that first investment property, you get a mindset shift. And then the mailbox money is where your tenant is covering your mortgage and your interest and your taxes and all those expenses you get cash flow left over every month and then say that first investment property may, maybe a couple hundred two three four hundred dollars a month in cash flow but then you get a second one you use some of the cash flow from the first one you save it up you put that into buying the next investment property and the goal is eventually to maybe have 10 investment properties that are all cash flowing say four or five hundred a month and all of a sudden you got five thousand dollars a month coming in consistently and your tenants are paying down your mortgage. So this asset that you're on and your net worth is growing at the same time. So 10, 15, 20 years later, all of a sudden you have these 10 properties that all are worth, you know, in the future, maybe three, four, five hundred thousand dollars each. So you have a really nice retirement setup. Okay. I am obsessed with I'm obsessed with mailbox money. And I feel like it, it can be kind of intimidating. That's why I love your book, The Wise Investor, because it makes it, it makes people feel like they can do it. They can be that person that can, you know, save their money from their business and then invest it in assets. What would you say to that person that when they heard right now, okay, the single family property, they get, oh gosh, what does that even mean? Because they weren't taught, you know, by their parents, you know, and they might be listening into Mommy Millionaire and be overwhelmed by some terminology mm. that can happen in the investing space. I know for me, that was me 10 years ago. I was like, oh, I just, I, it stresses me out. So I'm just going to wait till later to do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's one, that's one approach. <laughs> yeah. What would you tell those people to get them to start now? Oh, uh, learn, 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 learn. There's so many good books out there. It's amazing what people will put into a book, thousands of hours and their whole lifetime of experience. And then they sell it for 20 bucks right? and you get all this knowledge. So there's some amazing books out there. My wife has a, a book called Retire Rich with Rentals. And it's all about the process, really simplifying it. The book on rental well, I need property to have her investing. On the show. Too. Oh yeah, you should. You would love Kathy. Yeah, she's she's amazing. And then the book on rental property investing by Brandon Turner, a good friend of ours, is also an amazing book. I have that. So 
yeah, yeah, it's great. So you can you can really educate yourself first, and then that's what we do at Real Wealth. You know, we simplify the process of real estate investing. So we have investment counselors who are investors. Some of them have been members of our network and then became investment counselors. They all own at least five investment properties. They've been in the game for over five years, and so they kind of hold your hand, walk you through the process. And then what we do is we ha- we have connections with real estate brokers around the country who have investment properties available, and so these investment properties and the teams that rehab them or their new builds, it's all done for you as far as the the management and all that, that ongoing monthly management. So that's why it's true mailbox money. You're not having to manage, you don't have to deal with tenants or toilets or trash or any of that. You just manage your, your managers basically. Wow. That's amazing. Okay. So what I do is I'm into real estate funds, you know, and so those people have to be accredited investors to get into that. Mm-hmm. With real wealth, I'm assuming that people don't have to necessarily be an accredited investor because they could own a home, pull out money, and go and buy another property and then start to yeah. increase their net worth that way. So, would you say, like, for somebody that is, it is an accredited investor and has like a full time business that they're already running, would you say that they should go out and you know, start with a single family property or should they go into a real estate fund that is doing like the bigger deals where they're going to get, you know, a larger return on their money with less risk? Yeah. Well, I mean, usually these would be an accredited and we, we syndicate as well. We've done a whole bunch of, uh, we do residential ground up development is our main thing that we syndicate. And so we do the same thing. And, but yeah, a lot of people are not syndicate. I mean, um, accredited investors, they don't hit that, you know, million dollar net worth, excluding their residents or making a couple hundred thousand dollars a year. And so it's a lot of people who getting into that first single family home. I mean, they can invest, cannot invest in one of these funds and right. use the returns in a, a fund is more in that, you know, it's like eight to 10% nowadays, if you're doing well, which is good, but single family with leverage and all that, it's just an easy way to kind of break the ice. A lot of people are familiar with, you know, buying their first home or buying their second home. And it's not much different than that. A lot of people take their first home, they live in it for a while and they move out and they keep it and they turn it into a rental. A lot of people get into real estate investing that way. So it's kind of like that first baby step. And it's something that people can do where they only need maybe thirty, forty thousand dollars to get started. And I say that because you also want to have some reserves. You want to make sure that you have some cash reserves, maybe three to six months. So if you're all of a sudden your property goes vacant for a month, you can cover it no problem. Why do you believe that there is no such thing as a self-made success? Oh, because I've seen it so much. I believe just, you know, you hear this, she's a self-made success or he's a self-made success. And and then you talk to these people and what you'll always hear is if it wasn't for my team, if it wasn't for my mentors, if it wasn't for, you know, it's like no one is a self-made success. And I think the reason why it's so important to realize that and as a coach for, you know, so many years and working with people, it's that mindset thing. If you start getting in that trap and that belief of I'm going to be a self-made success, you start getting into that mindset of I got to do it all on my own. It's up to me. If it's to be, it's up to me. You get in this mantra and you stop asking for help. You start, you stop looking for help. Yeah, you kind of block yourself to the opportunities and the people and the mentors that might help you get ahead. So that's why I think it's important to don't get into the self-made success mindset, get into the more of the Dan Sullivan, who not how mindset, right? Who can help me here instead of how can I do this? I love that. 
Yeah. Mm. So it's the self-made mindset is actually sabotaging a lot of people. It can definitely, uh, yeah, it can definitely get in the way. Just like that inner gremlin that we all have that tells us we're not enough or we can't succeed, or it's that, that little voice in our head that tells us we can't. It's so important to be aware of that and what it's saying and just checking in with it. Cause that's, that's the biggest limiter in our self-belief. I think once we, we can really tame that inner gremlin, that's when we can really believe in ourselves. So how does the inner gremlin show up, you know, in all your years of coaching, how does that show up in preventing people from creating the wealth that they want? Oh, it depends on who you are and what your background, you know, I was diagnosed learning disabled when I was eight years old and I was put in special classes and kids called me retard. I was teased. And so I had this gremlin in my head and still do that says, you're stupid. You're never going to amount to anything. You're never going to be successful. You know, I try to say, well, look around, Mr. Gremlin. Yeah, that's, it was, you know, I didn't even graduate with my high school class because I filled English. I watched my friends graduate. I'm sitting in the bleachers with a lump in my throat, watching my friends graduate and knowing I had to go to summer school. So that inner gremlin got all this artillery to be like, see, you're stupid. And honestly, it wasn't until I started to get into weightlifting that I started to learn about setting goals and visualizing my results and staying disciplined and learning discipline. And I was like, wait a minute, if I can do that here, I can do this with my education. And I went on and got a business degree and started my health club when I was 23 years old. So it it changed that. So for anyone, it's really about checking in and whatever goal you're setting, whatever your goal you're visualizing, saying, this is what I want to accomplish. Take some time to just check in, close your eyes and say, okay, Ms. Gremlin or Mr. Gremlin or little voice in my head, I know you're trying to protect me. And I know you've been trying to keep me safe from embarrassment and loss and all this over my whole life. So this is a goal I really want. What do you need from me? What do you need from me so I can move forward toward this goal? And so often that subconscious mind will speak up and say, well, you need to learn this or you need to have someone to support you. Or, you know, basically it's like, it's not the the enemy when you, but it's really powerful when it's in the dark, when that, when your subconscious and that gremlin's in the dark, it's kind of running the show. But when you check in, you shine the light on it and you say, what do you need from me? It's amazing how many answers you can get. And it can be like your next steps. What, what do I do with my obstacles here? And yeah, and honestly, that's scientifically proven when we look at our obstacles after we set a goal, the odds of us accomplishing that goal go up, it skyrockets. It's incredible. Yeah. So it's about learning how to be in a relationship with that part of you because it, it wants you to succeed. It doesn't want you to fail. And it usually has great feedback is what it sounds 100%. like. Yeah. You nailed it. <laughs> so I want to get some tangible information that our listeners can really take away and start to apply in their wealth building journey. I hear all the time from listeners that they want to get into investing, but you know, they just don't know where to start. What are the first action steps that somebody could take as soon as they're done listening to this episode to get the needle moving? I know they need to, they need to buy a wise investor. They're going to do that. And they're going to plug into (laughs) real wealth. (laughs) What's, what's the next step after that? Oh, I think the biggest thing, and this is what the mentor, John, in the book uh, asked Ryan to do. He said, I want you to write down, and this sounds, you know, tedious, but I get that. But it's, he says, I want you to write down all of your expenses. What, what are your monthly expenses? And he goes, get real, be very real with it. Write down everything. And I want you to track your expenses for 30 days. 
And then I want you to take a look at that and really look at where's that money going. And do you really need to make these purchases? And is, are there things in your life where your money is just, you know, you're pouring through your money, and you're not acquiring assets that are going to grow, you're growing, you're actually acquiring liabilities. And so he d- does that. And I suggest the same thing. And then look at that and say, how can I reduce my monthly expenses by 20%? And in, in, you know, in the book, Ryan, the, the protagonist says, no, no way, no way can I reduce my expenses 20%, but he finds ways and, the, and you know, it, he details that, but you know, like his family has a boat, he has a BMW on a lease that he's, you know, he's, he's making these monthly payments that are like $600 a month. So it's looking at that first, how can you reduce your expenses by 20% and then how can you get to that place of First, getting cash flow neutral. A lot of people are operating cash flow negative. The amount of money that they're making monthly, they're spending more than they're making. And so it's like first get to that cash flow neutral where your expenses do not exceed your your income. There's a lot of people put it on credit cards and all that. Then you get to a cash flow positive. And it's like once you do the reduction of 20%, sometimes 30%, then you get to a place where you have a little bit more money each month that you can put aside and you keep putting aside that money and you get in this saving to invest addiction. It's a positive addiction. You're like, Oh, I want to save more. I want to get ready. And then this is my goal. I want to save, I want to have $30,000 and then I'm going to buy my first investment property. I'm going to make my first investment. And then there, once you get that first investment, then there's the big mindset change. You're like, Oh, I'm an investor now and everything changes. And then you just keep going on that path. So that, that's the first thing I would say is mm-hmm. of clear financial analysis of how much you're making, how much you're spending, where you're spending it and where you can reduce. This reminds me of, I remember one of my friend's grandmas told me this when I was a kid and she said, the people who can walk into a luxury store and buy anything they want don't. And (laughs) that's, you know, that's kind of what starts to happen as you become an investor is I always think, well, I could spend it, you know, on this bag or I could spend it on these things that look nice, or I could put it in an asset that's going to pay my family for generations. And when yeah. you start to get that mindset, it you're right, it becomes addicting because you're like, I could buy that, but I'm not going to. I'm going to do this instead. <laughs> it's way more empowering. It's so true. It's so true. It's, you know, and the mentor in the story says he defines asset a, a little different. You know, Robert Kiyosaki wrote the forward for the wise investor who wrote uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I love that. Yep. Great book. <laughs> yeah. And he defines assets, you know, in a, a really great way. I think he made he shifted a lot of people's mindset and belief about assets and the importance of having assets. And the mentor in The Wise Investor takes it to the next level, I think. He says an, an asset is anything that brings you income or more happiness, better health, or more time. And a liability is just the opposite. A liability is something that costs you income or costs you happiness or costs you freedom and you know, costs you time, costs you health. And so it's a cool way to compartmentalize it because then you can look at like, you know, for people, maybe people in your life, is this person an asset in my life? Do they add to my life? Do they give me love? Do they give me support? Do I do that same for them? Or is this person a liability? Are they weighing me down? Are they telling me I can't? Are they a drain on me? Uh, just one example of the asset versus liability. You know, I want to load my life up with really great assets is my goal. I absolutely love that. What do you do, tangent, what do you do when you realize somebody in your life is not an asset? Oh man, I think uh, one, you have to have that honest, transparent, radical candor conversation with them and just say, 
I think, are you aware is a great question. Just, mm. you know, if they're doing something that is bothering you, they nitpicking or putting you down or anything, it should say, are you aware that you are saying something that's trying to hold me back? And then sometimes they're not even aware. Or, right. or are you are you aware that you're coming, you're, you're complaining about this? And some people are just, you know, they're like, oh, and I've said this to people. They're like, no, I'm not complaining. You're just like, what would you call that? They're like, well, okay, maybe I am complaining. So it's like looking at that. And then, you know, if you get to that place where they just can't change and they just don't seem to change or don't want to change, then you just have to say, basically, you just kind of write them off in a way and you just say, you know, I'm, I, I want to be around people who raise my energy, who lift my energy, who we support each other and everything. And honestly, you haven't been doing that with me. So, you know, until we can shift this, I don't want to hang out with you, you know, just clear, you know, it's, it takes courage, it takes a lot of courage to say that, but it's a game changer for your life. I love that. But it takes courage to build a beautiful life, right? To stand up for yourself and say, this is what I desire. It's what I deserve, Mm. you know? So there's a Kayla quote, (laughs) it takes courage (laughs) to build a beautiful life. I like it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's put that on quote card guys. (laughs) So How much money do you think somebody needs to have saved up? So, you know, your recommendation is kind of somebody builds out a personal financial statement for themselves and then, you know, cut expenses by 20%. Then like how much money do they need? You said earlier, $30,000. Do you feel like that's a good goal for people? Yeah, I think it all, you know, it all depends on where you are and what your income's like and what you can do. But I, I, you know, 30,000 to really become an investor. And I'm talking about a real estate investor, you know, Mm -hmm. so you could do you can have less and start investing in stocks. You could, like you said, you could do Robin hood. You know, I invest in stocks too. I have a little bit in crypto and, you know, and some companies that I believe in, but it's just not, it's not my primary investing vehicle. So just because you can disappear, you know, (laughs) it's like, I've, I've seen our crypto go up and go down and, but I see our real estate just continuously getting a little bit more, a little bit more, even if it dips through a cycle and always on the other side of that cycle comes out good. So yeah, I would say 30,000 would be a good goal to get into that first single family property. You can do single family properties different nowadays. You can, you know, if you want more cash flow, you can house hack, you can get a duplex, you could live in one side, rent out the other. You could get a single family property and Airbnb it and make a lot more cash flow. Kathy and I have a couple Airbnb short-term rentals and they make, you know, three times the cash flow that just a normal long-term tenant will provide. So what is the downside to doing an Airbnb, right? Because why wouldn't, I mean, if you're making 3X more, why wouldn't you just go all in on Airbnb? There has to be a downside, I'm assuming. Uh, It depends on legislation or, you know, rules in the area. Sometimes they don't let you do short-term stays. It has to be at least 28 days or 30 days or more. That's what it's like in Newport Beach where I live. Yeah, same with Malibu, right? Same with Malibu where I am. But you can do medium-term rentals. So that's another thing. You can do things where you go on like furnishedfinder.com and you can place your, you can put your property for rent for traveling nurses and physicians and all that. And they'll, they'll do it for, usually it's, I think it's 13 weeks is their normal, like one quarter is what their normal job is. So they'll rent your place for 13 weeks. You'll get a higher a monthly rent. And a lot of times they renew at the end of that. They want to stay on and they want to keep going. So there's so many options in so many ways. And, you know, just like the Carissa, who's the, you know, the wife in the, in the story, she has this art, moss art, you know, she builds these moss art configurations of like framed art that go on the wall and she starts small on Etsy and she starts growing it and learning how to really grow a business. 
and she hires a couple people. And, you know, by the end of the book, I won't give it all away, but by the end of the book, she's, you know, built a, a thriving business. So that's another way, you know, you can, you can really generate a lot of cash flow, additional cash flow by starting your own business too. Yeah. If, if you look at your personal financial statement, you say, I, I really can't cut expenses. Like there's no way. Sometimes that is the case. Yeah. Very seldom. But <laughs> if that is the case, you could just ask yourself the question, well, how do I create another income stream? You know? Yeah. It's a great question or both. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. How can I reduce my expenses? Well, it's, you know, that's what happens in the story of the wise investor is like, they're doing it all. They're, they're house hacking and they're renting out a part of their house, you know, with its own entrance. And they learn about that. They learn about cutting expenses. They start investing. She starts growing her business. So it's kind of like all these things. And that's what I've seen, you know, and when we interview people of at real wealth and to really say like, where were you and what did you do and how did you get to where you are? Just like your podcast does. It's amazing. These stories are so inspiring and you just got to get the word out to people. It's like, you can do this. It's, it's huge. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love what you're doing and how you're empowering so many people. People, um, likewise, I really wish that they taught this like in school growing up because, you know, I mean, it took me a while and it took me paying to get into the rooms of people that had what I wanted to learn from them and say, oh, that's what I need to be doing. Okay. I never made an expense list until I was 30 years old. You know, I didn't know <laughs> that's what people yeah. did. So let's say that somebody is going, okay, I have my first property. I'm Airbnb it out right now. Mm -hmm. It's going great. I think I want to, you know, move on to starting my second property. What would be your recommendation? Like, cause I always think there's there's a thing as growing too fast. Like if you don't have all your systems Absolutely. and processes in place. So how do you know you're ready to, to grow as an investor? Yeah. I love that phrase. Don't grow yourself broke. Right. Oh, <laughs> because you see it with businesses, people trying to grow, people trying to 10 X all these things. It's like, yeah, slow down, grow over time, have a game plan and all that. Um, so yeah, one, it's not getting greedy. Two, it's not getting envious. I think en envy is a very dangerous disease when you start looking at other people and say, well, they, you know, you, you're, you envy them. And then instead of using them as inspiration, you know, you almost get pissed at them. You're like, they don't deserve that and everything. But, yeah. and then you say, I should have more. And then you start getting into that trap of trying to grow too fast. So I think it's just, you know, a little bit at a time, you get that first one, say it's an Airbnb, and then you start to learn it and you're reading books about it, you're experiencing it, you're dealing with Airbnb and tenants, which is a lot easier than you'd ever imagine. It's, it's, it's really wild. It's so turnkey. And all you really need is just, you know, if it's close to you, that Airbnb, or you're doing part of your house or your guest unit or something like that, you can manage it yourself really easy. All you need is just a good housekeeper and they're, they'll line up, they'll love it because you Airbnb, you can charge a cleaning fee and that can go right to the cleaner. And so it's, it's not, rocket science, really. It's just having it simple, having a nice place that's well furnished, taking good care of it, keeping it clean. And it's pretty amazing how, how easily the things book out on Airbnb. I love that. I'm, I'm excited. I've never done an Airbnb before. Cause I'm, I've always had the story that I don't want to deal with the like in and out of people and complaints. Mm -hmm. Cause I know I've had issues going into Airbnb and I'm like, I don't want to be on the other side of like people saying the sheets are, you know, the sheets are hard or sheets are stiff. So 
<laughs> of course. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it's, it's not that difficult. You know, we have a, a guest house here that's a decent sized guest house. And when we bought our house, it was just three years ago and we were having it built. We're like, we first looked at how much it's going to cost and we're like, whoo, that's a pretty steep mortgage payment. Then we just started to look at that and be like, well, what if we Airbnb this guest house and we kind of did the numbers on it and, and it's done better than we thought it would. And it's actually really simple. People come in, you got this August lock on the door. You just give them a code. They open it up. Place is all clean. Everything's ready to go. And, you know, we're like 5.0 stars. You know, I think we go over 200 reviews of five stars. So it's it's not that difficult. You just can't, you got to pay attention to detail. You just have to look like the sheets. If if you get one complaint, complaint about the sheets and swap them out. Yeah. It's, it's your mindset in it. You know, like you have that, it's not that big of a deal. Just do it. <laughs> and you yeah, want to have the, you, you want to have the guest house paying for the Malibu dream home. Then that's what you do. <laughs> yeah. It helps a lot. It really helps a lot. I <laughs> love that. So what factors do real estate investors need to always be aware of to basically ensure that, you know, a good property remains a good investment? Mm, good question. Now, the first thing is that it should make sense from the day you buy it. So don't buy a property based on appreciation, thinking that it's going to appreciate. A market may, may have appreciated 30, 40%, which we've seen over this last year and two. And look at it and say, how, what am I going to get for rent? And then really look at the numbers and a pro forma, basically, which is that income statement. You really want to look at, you factor in a 5% vacancy rate, you factor in maintenance, you factor in property management costs. And then you look and you say, this is how much I will cash flow. So number one is make sure that you have at least some cash flow at the end of every month. You know, even if it's a hundred bucks, that's fine. Next thing would be make sure that it's not too old of a property. When you get properties before 1964, you start dealing with asbestos and lead and things like that. That can be unforeseen expenses down the road if you have to remediate. So a, a newer property is better. It depends who you buy it from, you know, to really look at it. I would deal with an, with an agent who has experience and actually owns investment properties. There's a lot of realtors out there who are great at selling a primary home to someone and that's all they've ever done, but they don't understand investment real estate. So if you are talking to an agent or a broker, make sure that they actually have a portfolio of cash flowing properties as well so they can help guide you and look at the numbers with you. I love that. Now I've heard from people who want to get started in investing. They'll message and say, Kayla, you know, with the market right now, it's really hard to find a good property. What do you say to that? Yes, it is. I, I know. <laughs> <You're> like, <"Yes." laughs> we know it well. Yeah, that's a, it's very difficult. And it's been very difficult over the last several years. You know, after 2008, there were so many foreclosures. There was tons of inventory. These property teams would get it. They'd fix them up and put in all new carpets and paint and counters and cabinets and all this stuff and get them to be rent ready. And it was really easy. And then that so many people did that and so many investors came in and bought that inventory started to get lower and lower and lower. And we got to a place where it was, you know, barely anything. And that is what is real wealth is all about. We have experienced property teams and brokers in some of the best emerging markets, mostly in the South, Southeast, you know, Florida, Texas. Cincinnati, Ohio, Cleveland, Ohio, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. These are a lot of these markets that are a little bit more linear than not the big growth, you know, cyclical markets. And we have property teams in those that we've been in relationship with, you know, 10, 15 years. 
and they have their own system for they they know brokers they have relationships with the banks so they in they get these properties before other newbie investors can get them and they fix them up they make them they have teams that sometimes some of these property teams have like you know five or six construction crews and they'll have multiple houses at the same time getting fixed up and made in new condition and then they have property management so i think that's part of the inventory is you got to have boots on the ground, you know, experienced people who have done it for years, who know how to find these properties. That's where I'm, that's where Kathy and I buy our investment properties from. We don't try to go out and do it on our own. I love that. And a lot of people, that's where it comes back to don't have that self-made mindset because it's really mm. true. If you attach yourself to the people who have gone before you, who know what mistakes to not make again, it's like you get to jump onto their bandwagon of success and I'll do that all day long. <laughs> Right. Totally. Yeah. Because it's, it's lowering your risk. You know, I mean, there's still so risk much. in every and, investment, but. Yeah. And you said something earlier about you paid to get in the room to be with people, right. You know, that is the, yeah, I don't know how much Kathy and I have invested to get into the room, to be with people and what we've learned from that. And it has just completely changed our lives because it just takes your learning curve instead of something that's going to take you four or five, six years. If you ever learn it, all of a sudden you get in four or five or six months by being around these people with the connections and the education and the mentorship. Yeah. A total yeah. believer in that. Where do you foresee the real estate market in the next year or so? I think it's going to continue to cool off, which we are seeing in most markets, you know, some markets more than others. I know San Francisco's had a huge cooling off and Seattle, a lot of these, uh, Phoenix in, in a big way. Some of the, some of them are pretty strong still. Like Florida's taken some time to cool off. It hasn't really cooled off yet, but will. So I think we're going to see some lowering of prices, more affordability, which I think is needed. It was getting crazy. You know, people were getting priced out. They couldn't even buy their first home. We have so so many millennials now coming of age to buy their first property. Right. A lot of them are in their early thirties and they want to buy that property and they can't. So, you know, I think it's going to cool off. I think prices are going to dip some more in some markets than others. I don't think there's going to be a crash. You know, this is a whole different experience in 2008. We don't have the crappy loans that were made back then. A lot of people have a lot of equity and great rates that they don't want to lose their homes at these, you know, two, 3% mortgage rates. So they're going to hold on to them. So I think there's going to be a cooling off. Prices are going to lower some. And then as far as interest rates, they're probably going to vote. What I'm just basically, it's just the experts that we listen to. Most of the experts are saying that late 2023, we'll start to see uh, interest rates come down more into that like five, five and a half percent range. So in the meantime, if somebody finds a good deal, right, and they don't want to wait for the interest rates to drop, would you recommend them going and getting like private money at that point or finding a partner that could fund the deal instead of going to a major bank? It really depends on the deal. If you're going to do be holding it for a while, if you're going to be holding it for say, you know, five years or, or more than that, I would do an arm and adjustable rate mortgage. There's a lot of those, a lot of investors are going with those now, adjustable rate mortgage. So maybe like you can do like a 10 year adjustable rate or a seven year adjustable rate mortgage. Cause you know, the, you could even do a five-year adjustable rate mortgage because the odds are that rates will be lower and you might get that adjustable rate mortgage now, which can only go up so much. It's based on an index, but I would just, you know, get that, get the deal. If you find a good property now, you're like, I really want to get this now. It could be worth it to just get it at 
on an adjustable rate mortgage and then just refi, you know, refinance it later and just get a different mortgage that replaces that adjustable rate. And then you can lock in a like a 30-year fixed mortgage at a good rate in the future. That's awesome. So in order to get that, you've got to have good credit. And yes. <laughs> on that note, I mean, I just did a podcast a few weeks ago with someone that, you know, was helping people repair their credit. What have mm-hmm. you seen with, you know, you've had 67,000 people. I'm assuming not 100% of those had good credit. What are your yeah. top tips for people that, you know, have had, you know, a bad credit history and they're ready to change their lives and, you know, make it better? It's super simple answer is work with someone like you had on your podcast. It's uh, Kathy and I've done it. We got really hit hard in 2008. We didn't take all of our advice. We were like, here's our advice. Take it. We're not using it, you know? (laughs) And so it's like we held on to some properties up in the San Francisco Bay Area that we should have sold. And that was really hard. We had to do short sales on those and we had a foreclosure. So all that dinged our credit and brought us down into like the mid sixes. And so we, partnered with one of those credit repair companies and we really got on track. We made sure we weren't late with anything, anything. We went all just debit cards. We stopped using credit cards and we really rebuilt and these credit repair companies, they'll go. And if there's any errors that shouldn't be there or things that are still stuck on your credit report, they help get it off earlier. And now I'm over 800 on my credit score. And a lot of it is because of working with a credit repair company. I love that. Oh man, that makes me excited for all of my listeners on here. Awesome. Yeah, it works. That's a hard challenge. And it sounds like you're like, yeah, that happened. And here we are now. Like, you know, you keep (laughs) moving through it. What would you say is like the reason why you've been able to get through tough times? I mean, you know, getting melanoma, being scared of it spreading to your liver and then, you know, having to short sale foreclose, that's a lot to deal with. Mm. And you're like still standing. I'm still standing. Yeah. I'm stronger. Anti-fragile. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it really comes down to, I'm going to actually say optimism. I mean, I'm constantly working on myself. Kathy and I met in a personal development workshop back in 1995. Yeah. We were teamed up as buddies in this three month program where you set personal and professional goals and we fell in love with each other in this thing. So we're constantly committed to growth and getting better and learning. And and in that process, I think you really learn how to deal with that stimulus. You know, it's like whatever happens to you, what's what's your response going to be? And optimism is one of our core values at Real Wealth. And so optimism, meaning having hope for the future, things can get better, seeing challenges as adventures and, you know, solving them and figuring it out. So again, just comes back to that, that big mindset word, right? How we see things is, you know, really how we focus on things and how we see things is the life we create. Mm, yeah. Your perspective is everything. Huge, I love that. Huge. What's the most lucrative piece of advice, tip, or maybe hack that you've learned over the years of your professional investing career? Oh, I'm going to go with a team. It's the, you know, the only thing, one thing I say to my, our team, we have just 20 employees, not a big company, but what I say to them constantly is the only thing more important than a great idea is this team that can see it through. Mm -hmm. And so I just believe that it's like trying to be, trying to make it on your own, not having a team. It's such a challenging path, but when you get a team of people bringing their own unique abilities and just, it's a game changer. And that way I get to bring my unique ability, which is bringing together a team of people 
to work on a common goal. And that's, I think, my unique ability. And then we have people on our team that are such experts in their chosen area, whether it be marketing or SEO or financial analysis, you know, so it's, I think that's it. It's having an amazing team and building your team is the the real game changer. And in order to build like an incredible team, what does the leader need to be doing? Like, you know, on a daily basis to attract the right team? Becoming your best self for sure. I mean, that's my mantra, you know, it's like, I'm, you know, I, was, I was thinking about this a, a few months ago. I was on a long mountain bike ride and I was just pondering this whole, be the best version of myself. And, you know, so many people are talking about be, you know, become a better version of yourself. And I was thinking like, what version am I? You know, I think I have a Tesla and it's always getting an update and it's like, you know, version number 22 point something, something, you know, and I'm like, oh, wow. Oh, I'm version 58.6 right now. You know, so what what am I going to be when I'm version 60.0? And so I really start to every 30 days, I try to get a little bit better. And so it's a constant, it's a constant focus of, morning rituals, growing, learning, like, like we were talking about reading books, listening to books, listening to podcasts, getting your, getting myself in the room with people who are more knowledgeable than, than I am. And I think that that makes a great leader. And, and I put on top of that humility. Mm-hmm. It's so important to not think that you've got all the answers that you're the one that's the only one that's right. Being humble, being grateful, I think that makes a great leader and just lifting up your team and not trying to take all the credit for yourself. If anything, put all the credit toward your team. Mm, Wow. So good. I know it's going to help so many mommy millionaires. We got to talk about mindset, investing tips, and Mm. being your best self. I just think that message is so needed right now when the news and the world is so loud with negativity, you're saying optimism is kind of like the most powerful thing you can own. I, yeah, that's it. hundred percent. Rich, this was an incredible conversation. Where can our listeners find you? Just Rich Fetke as far as social media. So it's F-E-T-T-K-E. And then our website is really simple. It's just realwealth.com. What a, what a good website. (laughs) Okay. Mm. So what I want to do right now is I'm actually going to give away 10 copies of The Wise Investor. And all you need to do, Mommy Millionaires, is take a screenshot of this episode. I want you to tag Kayla Craft, tag Rich Fetke, and we're going to pick 10 lucky winners to get a book. So this is one way that we get Rich's message out to more people and one way that we invest in you as our audience to make sure that you're growing and hitting your goals. So thank you so much, Rich, for being on the show. I'm excited for people to get this book in their hands and just to follow you on all the channels, because I'm sure you're putting out so much goodness. And I can't, I'm going to have Kathy on the show. I'm going to reach out after this and make sure we have her on too. That would be great. You will love her. Yeah. That'll be a great show. You guys <laughs> too similar <laughs> Oh yeah, in a good way. Awesome. Okay. Mommy millionaires, make sure to take a screenshot and post about this episode. Thanks you guys. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in and listening all the way through on the Mommy Millionaire Show. Make sure to subscribe anywhere that you're listening to podcasts at. And if you happen to have iTunes, would you do me a favor and leave a review of the show? And of course, make it honest. (laughs) I know you're going to give me a five star, right? (laughs) That's the way that we get this message out to more and more people around the world. Remember, as you do that, 
Whatever you wish to receive, you have to give it first. And so giving a review, you know, something good is going to come your way today. Take the time and do that. Plus, I know you're the type of person who wants to really help people live their best life as well. So you could copy this link, share it out there with your friends, share it on social media. Remember, people need to be inspired more than ever right now. And I know you can help me on this mission. Thank you so much for being a part of the Mommy Millionaire podcast. Until next time, make sure to go after your dreams by being the person you were truly meant to be. Wealthy, happy, peaceful, and full of life. Love you.